How are we doing today? Everybody good? Are you sure? You good? It's Easter and Jesus is alive. That's a pretty good thing, huh? Well, um, this morning we are going to look, and, and uh, let me go ahead and have you turn there. We'll read in just a few minutes here. But uh, in Ruth chapter 4, Ruth chapter 4, but I want to do a little recap. I know there's some visitors here this morning, and, and so you're kind of jumping right into uh, the last chapter of the book of Ruth. Um, and so I uh, just want to take a couple minutes and catch everyone up. Uh, this is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful story, this book of Ruth, from start to finish. And, uh, and we're going through it verse by verse right now. I think it's very applicable for this morning. And, uh, and so we're going to continue to go through that. But just to catch you up, the book of Ruth, at the very beginning of it, uh, in chapter 1, tells us that, that, that all of this took place, uh, what it says there is, in the days when the judges ruled. Uh, And if you just flip a page before that, before the book of Ruth, you'll see that the book before the book of Ruth is the book of Judges. And that gives the account of the time of the Judges. And it was between 1400 B.C. and 1000 B.C. So that's kind of when this story is going on, a long, long time ago. And it tells that that if you look at the end of, of the book of Judges, that time was a dark, dark, dark season, a dark time for the children of God. It says that they did whatever was pleasing in their eyes. They just did whatever they wanted to do. And so it was a dark and, 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 and sinful and difficult time. And that's kind of where this story's happening. That's where we're picking it up. And it's in this midst of chaos and midst of these people who are not following God that the, way, the way that they're called to, the way that they've committed to. They're not following God. God. And so it's dark, it's difficult, and we see throughout the book of Judges all of the things that take place because of that. But here in the story here, it tells us that there's a man named Elimelech. Elimelech was was the husband of Naomi. And because of the famine that was taking place in Bethlehem where they lived, he decided to take his family, uh, Naomi and their two sons, Malon and Kilian, and, and go to Moab. Uh, to find food to provide for the family and so they moved him to Moab and he takes his family there after arriving in Moab Elimelech dies Naomi's left a widow Uh, Malon and Killian are are left there as two sons they marry these girls named Orpah and Ruth Malon marries Ruth Uh, Killian marries Orpah and uh, and about 10 years later it says that the two sons die and so here's Naomi who leaves Bethlehem with a husband and two sons now has no one, just two daughters-in-law, and her sons are dead, her husband is dead. And so it says in, uh, later on in, in chapter 1, verse 6, that she hears word that in Bethlehem, where she's from, the Lord has visited the people, and there's food again. The famine has ceased, God's given food to the people, and so she takes and she sets out to head back to Bethlehem. Now these two daughters, Orpah and Ruth, begin to go with her, and she begs them, no, 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 you stay back. There's no need for you to come with me. Uh, there's nothing for you here. Uh, I don't have another husband. There's no way that, that I can provide for you more sons. And even if I did have a husband and there was a hope of me having a baby, really, are you going gonna to wait around for this baby to grow up and, and, uh, and be married? Uh, well, Orpah goes back to her family and to her people in Moab. But Ruth makes this incredible commitment at the end of chapter 1 and says to Naomi, Listen, don't urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, Yahweh, will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. 
So she makes this amazing commitment. She returns with Naomi, even in spite of the fact that the, the circumstances of her returning look, returning look very bitter. Uh, she's making a decision to be a widow and childless for the rest of her life. That's what she follows as she takes and follows Naomi back. As they get back, it says in chapter 2 that she gets up early and she has this motivation, this, this uh, initiative to go and do something. She's made a commitment to Naomi and she's not going to wait around and hope that Naomi provides uh, food for her. She's going to get up and do something to provide for this, this mother-in-law who she's made a commitment to. And so she sets out and she goes to this field and it says that she happened to come to this field owned by a man named Boaz. Now, Boaz is a relative of Elimelech. And there's this whole process. The Old Testament called the Leveret Law, uh, which which would bring about Leveret marriage. And if, if the the whole idea of the law was, if if someone was married and he died, and they had no, this couple had no children, and he has a brother, it was the obligation of the brother to marry his wife, and then the first child that they had would actually go under the name of the guy who died. That was the Leveret process, and the whole purpose of it was so that the land and the name of pe- the people would go on, and it wouldn't die off if this person died. And so here's this guy, Boaz, and there's kind of this little bit of hope that we see as we're going through the story of Ruth, that there is a relative, there is some hope. And so um, Naomi works in his, his field, and Boaz just shows incredible grace and kindness to her, um, and then Naomi does this like little motherly meddling thing. And, and at the beginning of chapter 3, she has this plan. And she says, here's what I want you to do, Ruth. I want you to fix yourself up. And I want you to go to the threshing floor because that's where Boaz is going to be. And I want you to lay at his feet. And there's a whole purpose behind that. There's a whole picture behind that of her kind of coming to the feet of Boaz and submitting to him. And really what she was saying is, I want to be your wife. You're a redeemer for my mother's husband's family. He was dead, right? You're a redeemer for Elimelech's family, and I want to be your wife. I want you to carry on his name through me. And so she falls at his feet, lays at his feet, and makes this commitment. He's blown away, as any of us would be, right? And he makes this promise at the end of chapter 3, and he says, you wait here. I'll do everything that you've asked. There is another person. There's another redeemer who's ahead of me. He has a right before I do to take you as a wife. And so you wait here. I'll settle the matter. If he wants to marry you, great. If not, I will do it. And that's kind of where we're picking up in chapter 4 here. Uh, At the beginning of chapter 4, we're going to look at 13 verses today. Most of you are hopeful that took four minutes to do like a hundred and some verses. So... We must be, we'll be done in thir- with 13 in like a minute. So um, keep your hopes up. Uh, let's stand together and just follow along as I read. Ruth chapter 4, starting with verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know 
for there is no one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate, perpetuate, hmm, perpetuate, that's there, the name of the dead in his inheritance. <clears throat> then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilian and to Malan. Also Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Malan. I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah, and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth. She became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the story of Ruth. This beautiful picture of not just love between a woman and a man, but Lord, love from you towards us. Praise you for that, God. Would you speak that message to our hearts today? In Christ's name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. There are, uh, there are many things about this story that are instructive. They teach us things, and we've talked about several of those already um, but the, one of the most beautiful pictures about the book of Ruth is that it's a picture of God's redeeming grace for us. It's a beautiful and great picture of God's grace towards us throughout this book. Verse 1 that we, we just read here, chapter 4 says, now, now Boaz, he had made this promise to Ruth, you, you wait until um, I do everything and, and, uh, that I need to do. You wait and, and I'll make sure the matter's settled. Well, that's, this is him fulfilling that promise at the beginning of chapter 4. And it says, Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. <clears throat> Behold, the Redeemer, this is the guy who's in front of Boaz, who has a right to Ruth before Boaz, who has a right to the land before Boaz, comes by. And so Boaz said to him, Turn aside, friends, sit down here. And this guy sits down. Now, we don't know if Boaz was surprised. We don't know how long he was waiting there. We don't know if Boaz knew this guy comes by here pretty regularly. This is kind of his path. And so Boaz just sat at the gate and, and, and waited a short time. Maybe he waited a long time. We don't know. But whatever happened, this guy who had a right to redeem the land and redeem Ruth comes by and he says, hey, sit down. And the guy sits down. And then he says, to 10 elders of the city, he says, you come and sit down. And they sit down. I think this is a good affirming 
verse to us again of the worthiness of Boaz. Remember, it told us when it introduced Boaz in this book that he was a worthy man. He's a good man. He's an upstanding man. He's a man of integrity. I don't think they would do that just for anybody. I mean, you can imagine like here he is and he says, hey, just sit down. And he tells the ten elders, sit down. And they do it. And I think that's affirming his his character and who he was and how he lived and how he made decisions and how he led. We see from how he led his people in the field that God was his guide, that God was central to him. And he's a man of upstanding character. And so they they listen. Verse 3 says, Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. Now, notice how he presents this to this guy. No mention of Ruth. Just, hey, there's this nice piece of land. Do you want it? You're a Redeemer, and you have a right to it before I do. And so I just wanted to know, here's this piece of land that that Naomi is selling that belonged to Elimelech, and, and if you want it, then go ahead and redeem it. If you don't, then I'll redeem it. No mention of Ruth. Well, what's he going to say? I like land. I would like some more land. Verse 4, so I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you'll redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And what he's saying is, if you don't want it, I do want it. So the guy responds, I will redeem it. Now, if you if you haven't heard this or read ahead before, and this is your first time reading through the book, and, and this book has kind of been building and building and building and building and building, and, and at first it starts with all this sadness and difficulty and, and hardship and, and turmoil for Naomi, and then we kind of see the clouds, those dark clouds start to crack, and sun is shining through, and good things are starting to happen, and here's Boaz, and he's just this nice, wonderful, handsome man, and he's going to come into the picture and save the day, and, and then there's this agreement that's made and a promise from Boaz to Ruth, and we're getting excited and if this is the first time you've read it and you get to this verse you're like why did you do that Boaz why would you do that why would you present it that way you shouldn't even talk to him you should have just went and married her just marry her and and done with it and now this guy's going to get Ruth because he says I want it I want to redeem it I want the field So Boaz responds and says in verse 5, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. It's wisdom. Beautiful. I mean, here's this guy. He's like, I get more land. And if I get more land, then I have more inheritance. And I can pass more on to my sons. And that makes my sons wealthier. And that makes their names greater. This is good. Of course I want the land. And the boy says, oh, yeah. Totally forgot. When you get the land, there's this girl, Ruth. She's a widow. She's the daughter-in-law of Naomi. And you get her, too, and she'll be your wife. And he's like, See, what happens is, if he just gets land, then he's just built wealth. But he knows that if he gets a wife too, and then this wife has children, not only is he passing on this land to the children, but even what he has gained already, he's going to have to share 
with these children. So his inheritance has decreased. Way to go, Boaz. I mean, that is beautiful. It's wisdom and it's well presented and good job. So the redeemer in verse six responds, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. As is the custom in former times in Israel, verse seven, concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. This is the manner of attesting in Israel. So there's an agreement, especially in this circumstance, as the other redeemer, we don't even know his name, says to him, hey, I can't do it. You redeem it. It's yours. Then he takes his shoe off and hands it to Boaz. That was kind of what they did. That was the tradition. That's what they did to, to show that there was a, an agreement and a, and a transaction that was made. And you may read that and you think, well, that's, that's kind of weird, right? But if you think about it, that's a really good idea, Right? I mean, if, if, if Brian and I are making an agreement and he's like, no, I don't want it, you take it. And he takes a shoe off and gives it to me. And there's people that see that. And then Brian comes back like three months later. And he's like, oh, no. I want that. I changed my mind. I want that land or I want that whatever it is. Well, I can pull out the old sneaker, right? I'm like, take a whiff of this. This doesn't smell like me. This is your shoe, pal. We made an agreement. So it's a visual thing that they could show and say, look, there's an agreement that's been made. And this is confirming that he agreed and he gave me his shoe. And, and, and so it may look as you read it like that's a weird thing. I think it's kind of a cool idea. You've got some kind of a collateral to this agreement to say, look, this is a promise that was made. It's a commitment that was made. Not only these witnesses saw it, but I got proof right here in a shoe. So it goes on and. and uh, Verses 10 through 12. And he's making this statement before the people. Boaz, actually let's start in verse 9. Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilian and to Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place you are witnesses this day and then all the people respond we are witnesses and they make this statement may the lord make the woman who is coming into your house like rachel and leah now rachel and leah were further back or earlier in the <laughs> old testament excuse me and uh they were the two that bore the, the, the 12 sons who were the tribes of Israel. And so what they're saying is, hey, may she be fruitful. May she be blessed and may she bring you many sons. Someone prayed that for Shauna before we got married. I don't know who, but is this kind of a thing? May she be fruitful. May you be blessed through her. May your name be carried on because of this. And so it's just this message of blessing. So why are we talking about Ruth for Easter? Like, isn't Easter like we're supposed to have like a, a tombstone up here and it's cracked and like light shining out and all of that? Why are we talking about Ruth for Easter? I said earlier that, that Ruth um, is one of the greatest pictures of God's redeeming grace for us. 
See, Ruth was a Moabite. And Moabites were cursed by God. They had turned against God and they were cursed by him. They were shut out from the assembly of those who worshipped him. They were shut out, as it were, from redemption because of their sins. They had set themselves against the Lord. They were cursed. Moabites were cursed. But God is merciful. There's there's a great passage in, in Isaiah 56, verses 6 and 7. Let me just read it to you. And God says this, And the foreigners, it's people like Ruth, the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. So cursed people, God says, if they will come to me and seek refuge in me and love me and love my name and do what I say. I will show them mercy and grace. So the curse is only in place until a foreigner who's alienated and separated from God turns to God and joins himself to the Lord. And what what, what he says in Isaiah is who loves the name of the Lord and does what pleases him. That's Ruth. This is a wonderful picture of grace that even though this, this young girl comes from a cursed people who had turned on God and had, had, had set themselves against God, There's mercy for her. And it's a wonderful message of grace for Ruth. It's wonderful news for Ruth, but it's wonderful news for us. Because we're no different than Ruth. Because of sin, we are cursed. And we need the same kind of mercy and grace that was poured out on Ruth. And it says a lot in this chapter about that, that word redeemed. If you will redeem her, then do it. You guys know what that word redemption is? Means, you know what the act of redemption is? We see it here in in chapter 4. But it's buying someone for your own possession. That's what what Boaz did here with Ruth. That's what the story of chapter 4 is. He bought her for his own possession. He redeemed her. And it's this picture of him purchasing the land and purchasing her so that he might have her. That he might redeem her. Boaz had to purchase all the land that belonged to Limelech. And what he's saying in, 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 in verses 9 and 10 really is to the people, all that belonged to Killian, all that belonged to Malon, I've bought all of it. I paid for it. And I've also acquired Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, to be my wife in order to raise up the name of the deceased so that the name of the deceased may not be cut off from his brothers or from the court of his birthplace. You are witnesses. That's what he's saying here. But he had to purchase that. He had to sacrifice and make a payment for that. Not just that. This story goes on. We'll talk more about it next week. But this story gets better and better. Verse 13 that we finish off with. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception. And she bore a son. That son is the father of Jesse, who's the father of David, King David, who, if you look down the line further and further and further, is the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus. So you have this, this foreigner 
who's alienated from God, cursed by God, and now she's literally in the family of God. That's grace. It's just a picture of God's grace and how he invites us in. And and no matter what we've done or where we're from or, or what decisions we've made, he says, I have grace. So how did this cursed Moabite get into the line of Messiah? Grace. God provided a redeemer for her. Boaz is just a picture for us of our redeemer. Jesus Christ who bought us for himself. Who bought us out of the curse of sin. Out of the destruction of sin. And made us and offered to us to be his bride. To be blessed forever. Just the same way that God pursued Ruth, this cursed Moabite, he pursues us. A couple of passages, Titus 3, 4 4 through 7 says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Christ purchased us. Ephesians 1, 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. That's the purchase price. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. We don't know how much Boaz paid for this land and for Ruth. We don't know. We know what Jesus paid. His life. He laid down his life. He shed his blood to purchase for himself a people. Who just like Isaiah says, who would love God and give themselves to God and follow God. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says, Knowing, knowing that you were ransomed, you were purchased from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Boaz purchased Ruth for a price, and Jesus pursued and purchased us for a price. His blood, his life. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, you were bought, you were bought with a price. Ruth was an idolatrous Moabite before God pursued her. And she didn't, she didn't merit that. She didn't earn that. She didn't earn grace. It wasn't that God pursued her because of, of some great thing that she had done or some great decision He pursued her because he's gracious and it was free. And in the same way, Jesus pursues us and offers himself to us freely. So my prayer is that that we would know. I mean, some of us have have come to church. I've I've, I've gone to church since I was six years old. and, And I've gone to so many Easter services. I have no idea. I mean, several. I've skipped a few, I'm sure. But several. How many times I've heard Jesus died and Jesus rose again. But do we know what that means for us? 
Do you know, no matter your background, do you know that no matter what your circumstances are, that Christ coming and living a perfect life and shedding his blood on the cross is absolutely sufficient, a sacrifice for your sins. And him rising from the dead is this wonderful, glorious hope of him conquering death, conquering sin, and offering that same hope through himself forever, forever. Romans 5 says God demonstrated his love for us and that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. A couple chapters later, Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I just hope if, if you're a follower of Christ that you just don't get used to that. You never get used to the fact that Jesus gave his life and said, if you just believe, if you will just trust in me, if you'll find refuge under my wings, under what I've done, nothing that you could do, but under what I've done, if you just hope in that, believe in that, and confess with your mouth that I am Lord, I'll save you. I hope you never get used to that. And if, if you've never done that, if you never trusted Christ that way, if you never come like Ruth, who, who just came and found refuge under the wings of God, literally... But through Boaz, if you've never done that and submitted yourself to him, man, that you would trust and know that his sacrifice was a payment for your mistakes. And that he offers himself to us. He says, just come and believe. Give yourself to me. Trust yourself to me. just a minute here, we're going to watch a, a quick video and then we're going to sing together. I want to do this. I want to, um, I want to encourage you today. If you've never surrendered to Christ, I, I want to, I want to give you that opportunity. If you never, if you never heard anything like this before, I just want to, I want to, I want to make this opportunity for you. Jesus is ultimately the one who's made the opportunity. And I, I just want to give you this chance this morning that you just come to Christ and say, I need you. I need someone to forgive me. I need someone to pay for my sins. And, I, and if you did that, I want to follow you for the rest of my life. We're going to have some people in the lobby just through either one of these doors. And, and uh, after the video, we're going to sing. And if you want to pray with someone, please do that. Uh, there's people out there, if you just walk up to them and say, hey, I want to follow Jesus, they would love to just pray with you and spend that time with you. If you're a follower of Christ, I want to give you an opportunity too because we get used to this message and we get used to this story and, and then we start living life and we're not living for Christ. We're just living for ourselves and putting this name of Jesus on our life and stamping it on as if that's some kind of approval. That's not following Christ. That's not living in response to all that he did to purchase you. And so I want to encourage you, if you're just kind of going through the motions, you're kind of coming in and coming out, coming in and coming out, then maybe you need to respond to what Christ did by re-giving yourself. It's not, it's not getting saved again. Jesus says, no one can snatch you out of my hand. First John talks about how that people left and went away, and it just proved that they never were following Jesus. I'm not asking you to get re-saved this morning. 
just recommitting and saying, Jesus, I have not followed you the way that I committed to, and I, I want to do that. I want to respond to, the, to your death and to your resurrection and say, I love you and I want to live for you. And so if you want to go and pray with someone, I, I would encourage you to do that. Let me pray, and then they're going to start the video. Jesus, thank you so much for your goodness, for your grace, for your willingness to come and give yourself to purchase me. We're so unworthy. Just like Ruth, we did not merit your grace. We did not deserve your grace. And yet you came. And you pursue us, you seek us, you love us. You say, if you just come to me, I will embrace you and I will forgive you and I'll save you forever. Jesus, I pray for every single one of us here in this room right now. I pray for the kids in other rooms. Would you let your spirit Put in our hearts this message of grace, this message of hope, this message of redemption. Would you draw, Lord? Would you open hearts to you and to your goodness, God? I pray for faith right now, God. I know that for some it is, it is a scary thing to get up and to, to go and, and pray with someone. God, I pray that you would just build faith now, that they would see the sacrifice that you made and that they would joyfully run to embrace you without fear, without hesitation, knowing that you endured so much more on the cross. Would you bring joy and life to their hearts? We love you, Jesus. We are so grateful. In Christ's name, amen.